0: Before we jump into the Beatitudes, I want to read a verse to you, uh, a couple of verses out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. I I believe it'll be on the screen for you. But listen to these words that uh, are are from our Lord uh, through the prophet Isaiah. It says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen carefully to me. This is God speaking. And eat what is good, and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. Let's pray together. Father, I, I, I'm asking that this morning for myself and for everyone within the sound of my, my voice here in person or online, that we would, we would listen. Father, we, we want to live, we want to live life, we want to live life abundantly and free. So Father, may we have the humility to listen. So would you pray where you're seated, right there, if you're watching, would you just ask the Lord to help you to listen, because His words bring life. And if you'd be so kind, would you pray for me that I would speak His words, because those are life-giving. Well, Father, we bring this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. I know that sometimes I tell you not to, but today's quiz has nothing to do with you uh, doing that. It's whether or not last week, if you were with us, we looked at that last beatitude, which was, "Blessed are those who are uh, gentle or, or meek or humble, for they shall inherit the earth." And my question to you today, to see if you can gain the prize, is, does anyone remember we talked about this idea of meekness quite a bit last week? And is there an idea that some of you might say, because we gave kind of several different ways to define meekness, there are several answers. Does anybody remember how you might define meekness, or maybe how not to define meekness? Devin? Uh, power under control. Power under control. He wins the prize. I have a great one for today. I'm so excited. So, yeah, you can give him a round of applause. He's earned it. And so, today, we are going to be studying out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I got two prizes today. Number one, you have no idea how hard this was to find. My lovely wife found it. This is Gatorade. You can tell by the symbol. She was disappointed I didn't say Gatorade on it. But this is watermelon, strawberry. Uh, the only place she could find it was at a gas station. I was like, can I get lemon-lime? I need watermelon. I got to keep the theme going. So as we all know, Gatorade is that thirst quencher. And so obviously it coincides. And then the other was, I was like, I want to get one of these. And she found a Snickers bar because you remember those funny commercials years ago with Betty White? She's like an angry little thing. And then she gets a Snickers bar and she's no longer hangry. She's satisfied because she eats. And Tiffany was like, you won't believe what I found. You won't believe it. I found a Snickers bar that says satisfies. And I was like, it's meant to be. And so... (laughs) And so, Devin, here you go, my friend. You have won these. Uh, I hope you enjoy. And so, that's what we're looking at today, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. I want you to listen. Um, or first, let's, let's read through the entirety of the Beatitudes as we have. Again, I hope that at some point you might be saying, do we have to read through it again? Yes, repetition is key. For us to have this just etched and and, and carved within us so that it's rooted within us so that we know it. And it goes beyond just simply being, again, as I've mentioned, not something that we would just simply put on our wall. Maybe we would or have on a coffee cup, but it's something that resonates within our hearts. And so look at Matthew chapter 5. Again, this is at the moment, if you haven't been with us, that Jesus is kind of at the culmination of, of of his ministry. He has a large crowd gathered around here on this mountainside, and it says, "'When Jesus saw the crowds,' verse 1, "'He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied.'" Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way, they, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to listen to the words of uh, of a man by the name of C.s Lewis. Most of you may know who he is if you don't just he's the guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia that's probably his most popular uh, work that, that he wrote. It's that children's uh, series of novels and he also wrote many other things and listen to this quote that he has i I, I love it it says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What I'm wanting us to see today through this beatitude is that all of us, where you sit, where I stand, all of us are like this. All of us are like this because God has put eternity in your heart, in my heart. And so we have this inconsolable longing that we try all kinds of different ways, avenues, relationships, activities, in order to have this satiated within us, this inconsolable longing that God has placed there. And we're trying to find ways in which to make that moment kind of have a a sense of relief or peace or satisfaction It's not hard, I think, for for all of us to say that in times in our lives, maybe even right now you're wrestling with this, that what you look at is that everything seems to be a little greener on that side of town or on, on that person's yard or that person's life. Things just seem to be going for them. I wish it was going for me. We see things that we long for that we want because we think it will satisfy, and the truth of the matter is this, is that the Spirit of God is beckoning you to Himself. Even today, for you who are a follower of Christ, and you're like, "Is He really beckon me anymore? I believe every morning you wake up and He's like, hey, rest in me. Let me satisfy you. He's beckoning you to Himself. And yet, again and again, I have... I'll, I, I can be honest to say there are times that I, I go, I know who he is. I have an intellectual knowledge. I even know that he has forgiven me of my sins. I have, I have a, a security and, and just a, a knowledge of my salvation through, through faith in him. And yet I will turn to different things or people to try to somehow find that quick fix or that short-term kind of uh, satisfaction in some form or measure. A few examples of what this might look like. Maybe it's the thrill of lust or pornography. It leaves nothing but guilt and loneliness, but you're maybe satisfied for a brief moment. Or the abuse of a, of a pill or uh, the abuse of a drink that can numb you for a time, but then you wake up the next morning and you're again in the same world in that same struggling relationship or job. Or maybe you've, you've thrown yourself into a, into a film or to a TV show. Right now, we're, we're in this day and age where we binge TV shows, and we watch like 10 hours of a show, and we, we take it all in, and then by the time we come out of that reality back into true reality, the credits roll, and there's almost this sense of like, well, well, well what's next? What, what's going to satisfy? And we come crashing back into our own world. Or maybe it's that new toy that you got that new vehicle or that new device. And you begin to have fun and you begin to play with that. And then the next thing you know is that uh, Apple has brought out another one because they have like 10 in line just ready to be released. And every time you get one, you're already behind in the latest technology. And so you look at yours and you go, now I want that. That's the one that I need. It has a better camera on it. It has like three or four cameras on it. And then that that will will make it all better. Or maybe a little closer to home is this idea of even going, going to church I'm going to do the religious thing, be at the religious scene. I'm going to do those those things that you would do in order to maybe be satisfied. And what we found is that all the religion in the world is not going to satisfy you. It's a relationship with Jesus that is going to satisfy you. I wrote this down, and I, I I don't normally like to just quote what I write, but I wrote, We tend to try to satisfy this longing, this inconsolable longing that God has put there, eternity, in our heart. We tend to try to satisfy this longing, this need, this desire, this ambition with a variety of different things, and the majority of them are not bad. They're good things that God says, man, enjoy. Remember Isaiah 55, I read, he says, eat what is good, delight yourself in abundance. God's not a killjoy. God's not saying, don't enjoy this life. He is. He he says, enjoy it. I've, I've given it to you. I've blessed you with this life. I've blessed you with the things of this life. But when we seek for those things to be our ultimate ambition or satisfaction, whether it's a vacation or some kind of accomplishment or rising within the ranks of some kind of profession that we're in, maybe it's a film, maybe it's music, maybe it's sexual exploits or sports or drugs or alcohol, relationships between uh, friendships or, or, or in a romantic relationship or husband-wife or even parent-child and even religion, we can throw ourselves into all those things, but what we'll find is that it might satisfy for a moment, but it won't completely satisfy. The longing remains. That's the beauty of this specific beatitude, is that God has placed eternity within our heart, that inconsolable longing. And then along shows up Jesus, talking to a large group of individuals, and he's saying things that might sound a little bit familiar to them because of I know Isaiah, and I know Psalm 37, and it sounds familiar to me. And Jesus, is, I think, is just opening their eyes, as hopefully he is ours today as well. And he says, here's the truth. You, you, you want to truly be satisfied in this life? Then you need to go to the author of life. If he created life, wouldn't it make sense that he would know what would ultimately make it be satisfactory and to be enjoyable and to be able to live it? This brief but powerful sentence in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we've done the last few weeks, we're going to begin with the blessing and then we'll look at the explanation. The blessing is, as you can see, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, deep inner joy, indescribable contentment and peace, if you hunger and thirst. And doesn't that sound almost contradictory? When I hunger and I thirst, I'm generally not at peace. Or satisfied. It's it's because I'm hunger and I'm hungry and I'm thirsty that I'm 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 dissatisfied. I'm needing something to, 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 to stop that. And yet Jesus uses these hunger and thirst metaphors to be able to share of this intense, desperate longing of our spiritual needs. And he's wanting to correlate it so that it makes sense, because he's a good teacher of you know what physical needs that you have, hunger and thirst. Let's, tr- let's, let's translate that into our spiritual, into our spiritual life. Um, some of you, I mean, I, I imagine you've experienced, experienced this. My, I remember growing up in my household, and my mom would use this phrase to where if she was getting really hungry and, and maybe blood sugar was getting a little bit low or whatever it may be, she would say, uh, my dad's name is Bob. She'd go, Bobby, I'm beginning to experience true hunger. That was dad's cue, get some food, into her belly now, if you want to keep things satisfactory. Like, like you, need, you need to be on the move. It is time uh, to make sure that some, some food, because, because we can all do this, uh, we can all have that moment. If, if if we've had a time without food for a time, I felt this way a little bit yesterday. We, we went out and ran some errands, and I was like, I got to eat. Uh, otherwise, it's, 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 we're probably going to start, I'm going to like start snipping at you or something. And it's, that's not me. That's hangry, and I just can't help that, and we, we all have those personal examples of where we're incredibly hungry or incredibly thirsty, but as much as we might kind of relate to it a little bit, I would imagine that Each person in this room, I could be wrong, but I would say the majority of individuals within this room probably have not known what it means to be seriously hungry or thirsty. We might miss a lunch or two. We might even choose to fast. We're like, well, I know what it is to be hungry. You were choosing to fast, okay? Um, We may miss a meal, but we don't maybe have a true grasp of what it is to hunger and thirst, what it means to starve or be so parched. Because when you are truly hungry and thirsty, you are driven to do some things that you probably would never in your right mind or in your right physical condition, ever do. Just, just a few statistics of things that are within the world today that was uh, kind of uh, alarming to me. Today, there's more than a billion people in the world who live and die in desperate poverty. There's close to 2 billion people that live on less than $2 a day. And nearly half of the world's population is struggling to, today to find food, water, shelter with the same amount of money that you and I would spend at lunch to buy fries on. I mean, it's remarkable, one, the, the, the blessing that we get to experience within the country that we're, that we're in, but nearly, not quite half, but just below half of the world's population living on less than $2 a day, hungry, starving. If you relate it here into America, one in six American children may not know where their next meal is coming from. If, again, if you brought it to the global sense I found a statistic back in, it's it's a little bit dated, but 2017, so it may be a little bit different, but today that there are more than 26,000 children who will breathe their last breath today due to starvation or preventable disease. 26,000. I was thinking about it in our terms, that's 26,000 Tituses, that's 26,000 Samanthas breathe their last breath today because of a preventable disease or starvation. People in Jesus day, when Jesus was, was teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says these words, when he would say hunger and thirst, they would immediately begin to relate. They would understand what it is to hunger and and, and thirst. Because they also knew of stories where people did some dramatic things. There there are cases that you can read throughout church uh, throughout history of those who would be so um parched and ready to have some kind of something to, to just 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 take care of of, of the thirst within their throat, that people, it's recorded, would slash themselves and drink their own blood. The most unnatural of things of what mothers would do to their children, I won't even get to the details of it, but people would become so hungry they were driven into almost a form of madness in order to begin to be able to satisfy that hunger because it drives you to do things that are quite desperate and just don't seem to make sense. And Jesus is using this description in order to try to grab the, the, the people's, people's attention there on the mountainside and to grab our attention today of, do you have this kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness? We've talked about the kingdom of God because it's all over the Beatitudes, or the kingdom of heaven. And part of what I think we're seeing is that the people who enter into His kingdom and the people who also live within his kingdom. It's not only your your entrance in, but it's once you're in his kingdom, the way that you would conduct yourselves and live our lives as followers of Jesus within his kingdom, we should be characterized by these two qualities of hungering and thirsting, a strong desire, a passionate ambition to, to be satisfied only in one thing. And yet again, we pursue and chase. We strive after the wind. I was even driving... Uh, to, to, to our worship time here this morning, and every Sunday morning when I'm driving over here, I'm trying to think if there's if there's at least one thing that I'm wanting us to walk away with, what would that be as opposed to just here's information? And, and what it reminded me of is a few weeks ago, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. We took that bird's eye view of the entirety of the book, and we saw in the life of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and, and, and it's so much of what he lived and experienced is what we're reading here in verse six of if he went after all of the different things that the world had to offer. And when he came to the end of his life, he simply said, it's all meaningless. And it's like, well, that's a real downer. But then he, he pulled back on that and he's like, actually, if you're devoted to God and to the things of God, he brings you meaning. And then all of those other things, they're no longer meaningless In in God's perspective and in God's light, living through him, now meaning is there. There is meaning in the way that we live this life. There is purpose. But if we get so just trapped and wrapped up into, I need to gain more, if I get a little bit more money, get a little bit more power, a little bit more fame, if I can just have that relationship, then then everything will be fine. And not only did it make me think of Solomon, but there are countless other examples within Scripture. There's a few that I want to mention to you. One is, Think about Lucifer. You can read of the accounts of Lucifer and Isaiah and Ezekiel of the fall of, of, of Lucifer, and he's wanting power. He wants to make himself like God. And we can see, obviously, that, that, that didn't go very well for him. We can see Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is that king of Babylon that you read about in Daniel chapter 5, or in the, the, excuse me, in the book of Daniel. And he is just driven. You, you can read in Daniel chapter 4, he's all about, it's so funny how many times you read the, uh, the, the, the personal pronoun I or, 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 or me, of everything that he has accomplished and his majesty and his grandeur and his glory and his fame. And in just a word, God drives him literally onto his knees and he becomes like a mad animal, just literally going about like his gardens there in his palace. He's just driven into insanity or the rich fool. I want to read this to you because I just thought it just completely coincides, but Luke chapter 12, verse 16, Jesus is going to share a parable. And I think this is describing what we need to remember. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, it says, and Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, Now and now who will own what you have prepared so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, you could read that and say, well, God doesn't want you to have a savings account. It's not what it's saying. It's not at all. There's enough other scripture of taking care of your family, of, 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 of storing up for yourself. You can read in the book of Proverbs. He uses the illustration of like an ant, making sure that things are taken care of and provided for. But what I find is that in verse 19, when Again, this parable, this man says, I will say to my soul, soul. He's going to his soul of how can I satisfy my soul, not how can God satisfy my soul. This is what's going to make me feel secure and comfortable and at ease within my life if I have all of this in abundance here upon this earth. And God is like, you've missed the the, the priority and you've missed the, the truth of what you need is you need God in your life. And so... Jesus says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, hungering and thirsting. Sometimes we might say, I hate it when I'm hungry, and I hate it when I'm thirsty. Just give me some food, give me something to drink. But the fact of the matter that you do hunger and thirst is actually good. I'll give you two reasons why. One, to hunger and to thirst indicates life. To hunger and to thirst indicates life. If you are hungry and thirsty, this means you're alive. Dead people aren't hungry or thirsty. They're just dead. So good on you. You're alive. All right. The second thing is to hunger and to thirst indicates health. When I get sick and Tiffany is wanting to take care of me and kind of hovering over me, love you, baby. And she's like, here, have some food, have have, have some chicken noodle soup, have this. And I'm just like, I don't feel good. I'm not hungry. I don't have an appetite. Leave me alone. And, and I'm just like, I, I'm not hungry because I don't have an appetite. That also is an indication I am sick. So what I would say is that though you have eternity placed upon your heart and you do have this inconsolable longing, the fact that even as a follower of Christ, you continue to go, you wake up tomorrow, I still want to be satisfied. I still want to be satisfied. God, put that there. And he's saying, come to me. The fact that you are still hungry to be satisfied means you're healthy and you're alive. And the one who's going to satisfy isn't going to be the money or the pain or the fa- or power or the sex or the relationship or the, the climbing the ladder. It's going to be me. And so I would hope that today, that if you woke up today and, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just a little uneasy. I'm a little kind of, you might, we might use the word discontent though we should be content in Christ. But, but there's this sense of like, if you're longing for something, just point that longing into the right direction, into the right person. Because there's nothing wrong with that longing. I believe that God even put that there. So, hunger and thirst. Physically, this indicates something that is needed by the body, which is good. Food, water is the answer. But hunger and thirst, as I said, these are metaphors that Jesus is using, is something that is needed by the soul, spiritually, which is also good. Later on, we're going to sing this before we, uh, as we partake of the Lord's Supper today. Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, as the, pe- as, the peer, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for thee. So we come back again and again. We've answered it, but we should still ask the question because I think even maybe those listeners on the mountainside might be saying, well, what, what, what truly is the answer? What's going to satiate? What's going to quench my thirst? What's going to fill me up? What's going to satisfy? It's, it's righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. L- listen to this. Righteousness is to the kingdom citizen, which I hope that you are. You're a part of the kingdom. Righteousness is to the kingdom citizen what food and water is to the natural person. Food and water are necessities. There's some things in your life that you think you need. You really don't. Food and water, you have to have to be able to breathe your necks and to live your life. They're not luxuries. In the physical realm, that is true. But what about in the spiritual realm? It's righteousness. Righteousness. You can't live without food or water. It's impossible. It's also impossible to live in God's kingdom without righteousness. That's why Jesus, at the onset of his ministry, says in Matthew 4, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wants us to enter into the kingdom, but he also wants us to live within his kingdom. Your physical life depends on food and water. Your spiritual life depends on righteousness. But the key thing is is his righteousness. His righteousness. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we studied Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are those who are are, uh, poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And poor in spirit is that recognition that you are spiritually destitute. And I shared with you in that message, you can go back and listen to it, that in that message that oftentimes what we don't realize is that we will live our lives in a self-sufficient or a self-righteous manner. Even as, as followers of Jesus, we kind of have this mindset of, I'm going to pull myself up on my own bootstraps. I'm going to figure this out. I got it. I'll take care of it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to live as good a life as I possibly can. And what we need is not more self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. What we need is, is His righteousness. As I've mentioned to you before, our righteousness is just filthy rags. It's His righteousness that is going to satisfy and to be able to save. Which leads me to my next point. So if your spiritual life depends upon his righteousness, what is his righteousness accomplishing? What is his righteousness accomplishing in your life? The first is this. It's your justification. You are not made right with God or justified in what you can accomplish. That's why going to church all day, every day, as many Bible studies as you want, you're going to still have that inconsolable longing until you know his righteousness His righteousness is what justifies, is what saves us. I've shared this before, but just kind of as a way of reminder, whenever whenever you come to a point where God is revealing to you that I am holy, and when we see His holiness, we get the perspective of, man, I'm sinful. What we see is Matthew 5.3. We see that step of the Beatitudes. We see that I am spiritually destitute. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm a sinner. And then we're broken over that sin, And so we mourn over that sin, and God says, I will comfort you. Come to me in humility. Come to me in meekness or in gentleness, as we saw last week. And when you continue on that stair step of these beatitudes, I'm a sinner. I'm broken over it. I'm humbled by it. God says, now experience my righteousness, and you will be satisfied. You'll be saved. You will be justified. So there is a moment where we repent and we believe, we place our faith in Jesus, and in that moment, God saves you. You are made righteous. You are justified. And what we look forward to so often, and sometimes what we do within the life of the church, is we say, give your life to Jesus. Be saved so that you can go to heaven. Yeah. But when you're justified, at the end of our life, we're all going to die. Our days are numbered, and God knows them. We're going to die, and when we die, our salvation, what we're going to experience is we're going to be glorified. We're going to experience the glorification of our salvation because of his righteousness. But from the moment that you become a follower of Jesus to the moment that you breathe your last and you get to be in the presence of Jesus, what about the rest of your life? It's his righteousness that is producing within you the sanctification of your salvation. It's him working out your salvation. It's not just that I'm justified, I want fire insurance so that I don't go to hell and that I go to heaven. It's I'm justified, I am made righteous, I'm entering into the kingdom, and now I want to live my life on this earth until he takes me home. I want to live my life in righteousness, his righteousness, while I'm on this earth. I want to make a difference. I want to live righteously. Because perhaps if I will live in his righteousness, it might point people to him and they'll experience his righteousness to enter into the kingdom. It matters. There's a passage of Scripture. I don't know if it's on the screen or not, so if it's not, that's okay. You guys can listen. In in the book of Luke, chapter 18, this is a verse of Scripture that I've wanted to read like the last several times, but I saved it for today because I I love this this parable and this teaching of Jesus. But in Luke, chapter 18, listen to this. It says, and he also told this parable to some people who had trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And he said, listen to this story, this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. This is self-righteousness. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. And before we point our finger at this guy, Jesus is trying to make a point. And this is what point I would make to you. Is there someone on your street or at your job that you're like, well, at least I'm not that guy. Beware of self-righteousness. I've done it. I at least don't do fill in the blank. He says, I fast twice a week I pay tithes of all that I get. But now the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do, do you not see the Beatitudes of this? Here is the tax collector going, I know I'm spiritually destitute. I know I'm a sinner and I'm broken over it. Comfort me, and I'm humbled by the fact that you would comfort me, that you would, you would, you would, be, you would be drawing me in. And Jesus says, verse 14, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted without a recognition that you are a sinner, poor in spirit, and being broken over your sin, mournful, and and being meek and gentle, there won't come this moment of humility of saying, I need you, God, and your righteousness. Because that's the only thing that will satisfy in this life. So after you come into his kingdom and you are made right, and it's all about right living, that means just don't stop seeking his righteousness. Don't just live for heaven. Live for the one who rules and reigns heaven. Live for his kingdom now upon this earth. Just don't stop seeking righteousness, his righteousness. Now, we've asked and answered these questions. What, what satisfies, quenches, satiates, fills up, all of that. And we see it's righteousness, his righteousness. But I want us to ask the question, how? And that takes us to the explanation, the second thing, the explanation. It says, for they shall be satisfied. And my question is, is basically, how? How is this possible? It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I've told you multiple times, you don't need to know this, but I think I've said it now three or four times, so maybe you do. But this is another moment where within the language that this is being written in, this is a divine passive. And some of you may recall and may remember what I mentioned about that, is a divine passive is just simply this, that in order for what is being said to be accomplished, it can only be accomplished by God that's at the heart of this language. That's what a divine passive is doing. So you can, you can read this. Ah, Beautiful, it's on the screen. So you can read this, and it says, for they shall be satisfied. How? By God. Only God. By God alone. It's that divine passive that we see again. And so what I want to ask you is a very simple, but I believe a very perhaps profound question. For you, within the sound of my voice, if you would say, I know that I know that I'm a follower of Jesus, not based upon my life, but based upon his life and his sacrifice. I am saved. I've been justified. Can I ask you right now, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? that's a, that's a difficult question. Are you satisfied with your life on this earth right now? There's a lot of dissatisfaction. It's not to say that there are things that maybe we're not experiencing or that we're receiving that aren't hard, but are we satisfied? Because Jesus declares in this beatitude, if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, his righteousness, you will be satisfied by God. So either Jesus is a liar or all my discontentment is really my issue because I'm not taking my, my, my longings and my desires continually to him and experiencing experiencing his righteousness Jesus is saying Christian follower of me though you have been made right because of my righteousness live in my righteousness now until the day I take you home so that you will be satisfied that longing will be satiated again C.S. Lewis I love that quote if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world Years ago, I had the opportunity to preach a sermon at the church I was pastoring in Oklahoma, and uh, we do like we do here. We did there like we do here, where uh, at the end, I had an opportunity for people to respond, and there was a young man. It was his first Sunday there, and he came, and he just wanted to visit with me, and I could tell he was a little bit shook up, and what I had Determined to do at that time was we weren't going to have a conversation about eternity in a whispered two minute conversation. I used the time to say, Man, you're, you're responding. There's a need that you are wanting to, 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 to satisfy. There's questions that you have. So as we visited, I said, As soon as we're finished here with our time of, of corporate worship, would you meet with me in my office and we'll, we'll visit? And he's like, Yes, I would love that. So we went and visited. And as we began to talk, he had recently been married. His, his wife was pregnant, and he was just overwhelmed with life's issues and circumstances. He didn't know what was going on. He was just kind of topsy-turvy, and he said, I haven't grown up in church. I don't know anything about really what you're saying. At one point, you referenced Moses. Who's Moses? I was like, oh, all right. We're starting from ground. This is great. All right, and so we, we began to just kind of go through scripture, and what was interesting is that it wasn't me or my preaching that began to kind of stir his heart with some, some something to satisfy it. God was at work at in his life. Sometimes as Christians, we think, man, if I could just say the right thing, then I might begin to stir their affections or their heart for the things of God. Let God stir their hearts for the things of God. You just be the one who's ready to, to be there and to kind of help be a guide to point them to God and his righteousness. And so just visiting with him, what I found was that he was really living out without even realizing it. Matthew 5, 6, he was someone who was hungering and thirsting And what he found in that moment was that the one who's going to satisfy that is Jesus. I remember giving him one of those uh, children's storybook Bibles. It's one of the best Bibles I've ever seen because it's constantly pointing to why this story in the Old Testament is important because it points to Christ. And I gave it to him and to his new bride because, again, they'd never really grown up in church. And I said, if you're serious about God and the things of God, read this book every night. And once you do and you kind of get the big picture then we'll start going through the Gospel of John. And what was so fun to see was that young believer, new follower of Christ, be so not just hungry and thirsty for his sins to be forgiven, but now that they were, to want to know the one who forgave him and to experience that that renewing and satisfying righteousness day in and day out. The key word that he shared with me in that moment before he gave his life to Jesus, received Jesus, as he said, I'm just restless. Are you restless today? There's rest in Jesus, in his righteousness. It's two, two groups I want to talk to before we close. The first is for those of you as followers of Jesus. If you're in this room and you know that you know that you're a follower of Jesus, again, I ask you that question, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your life right now? Or that hunger and thirst that you have, that longing that you have, what are you looking to to try to fill that void? Some of you might now might be kind of consumed or obsessed with a good thing, but it's not the best thing. It might be a relationship or money or even religious activity, even within the life of the church, all fine, well, and good, but, but... Are you going back again to the, to, to the endless well that is the, the, the blessings and the, the presence and the mercy and the grace of God? You wake up and you still ache. The void is there. And I just want to remind you, according to Jesus' words, Jesus can, has, is, and will always and completely satisfy you. Maybe not in the way that you want, but he will. You're hungry, you're thirsty. That means you're alive and healthy. That's good. Run back to God. God get involved in the things of God. Get involved with his church because that's a gift from God to give us this institution that we can live life together and have small groups and accountability that we can gather together that we can break bread together that we can read the word together and journal and pray. Just specifically this week what I would encourage you to do is is some of us are running from one thing to the next to the next and we're filling our minds and our lives with so much other stuff that in and of itself is not bad, but we're looking for that thing to be what's going to kind of give us a little bit of relief. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that you got to wake up and for 24-7 just read your Bible, but what I am saying is maybe, maybe at least one day this week when you're on your way to work or when you wake up in the morning, don't let be the first thing that you pick up your, is your phone or putting on some music Take some time and just, just spend it with the Lord. Take some time on that commute and just say, I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm going to turn off the podcast. I'm going to turn off the sermon because what I don't need to hear is another sermon. What I don't need to hear is more worship music. What I need is just you. I just want to worship you because I can do that without having all the other stuff that's not bad, but I just want, I just want it to be me and, and you because only you will fulfill me in the and the longings and the needs that I have in my life. So I would, I would challenge and encourage you, Christian, just this week, at least one day when you rise up in the morning, don't reach for your phone first. Just, just even I have this picture of, of just seeing all of you kind of, you know, waking up in the morning first thing instead of reaching for your phone, you just reach up and you're just like, God, I know today is just going to be awful because I know what's on my schedule. I need you. Fill me. Satisfy me you say that you will i believe that you will and even when i'm going through the just just through difficult circumstances god satisfy me even when tears are running down my face god satisfy me just cry out to god and let him fill you up in the longing that you have for others of you the second group you may say you know the jesus thing i'm kind of interested but really that's i'm not there yet I I, I don't know if I believe what he has to say. I don't know if I'm at that point. But the question that I would ask you today is, in light of what you've heard of how only he can satisfy with his righteousness, is why, if your life has an inconsolable longing that only someone who created your life can fulfill, why would you not run to him? Why would you not receive him to be your Lord and your Savior today? You're hungry and you're thirsty. I know that you are, because all of us are. And you wake up and you have this ache and you have this void and you've been maybe coming to church or even reading your Bible and seeking after the things of God, but, but going to church and getting a little sprinkled or dunked or, or whatever it may be, it's not gonna satisfy you. Only Jesus is the one who's gonna satisfy you. Or you go to other things that are completely outside of the, of, the, of, the, of the things. You might go to that drink or to that drug or to that movie or that music or that friend or that relationship and you'll say, maybe this will do it. And, and what I will tell you is that The things of this world, they do tend to give a moment of temporary satisfaction to knock off the edge. But again, you wake up or you start the next day and you realize that all I've had is just a Band-Aid and the root of my inconsolable longing has not been dealt with because only Jesus satisfies. You realize that Jesus says that he is the living water. Do you believe him? Jesus is the living water. He will quench your thirst. So won't you repent of your sin and turn and receive him as your Lord and Savior? Believe in him today. But not only does Jesus say that he is the living water, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Again, do you believe him? He will satisfy your hunger, the hunger pains that you have within your soul. So again, I would ask you, won't you repent and believe in him today? Repent of your sin. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your future. Trust him with everything that you have. Put your life in his hands and believe him today. What I want to invite you to do is in just a moment, we're going to sing and Today, you may have noticed as you came in at the front table and the back table, there's the Lord's Supper elements that we're going to invite you during the, the beginning of this song to, to get up and to receive, because we, we want to we come together around the, the table, if you will, and we want to break the bread, and we want to drink the juice and be reminded of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. But can I, can I just caution you for a moment in a moment you're going to get up and what the last thing i want you to do is go oh it's lord's supper day get up grab it shake it because of the sediments and i don't want it to taste nasty and i'm going to go through the routine if that's all you're doing just stand and pray i believe in the words of paul in first corinthians chapter 11 that we don't come to the table in an unworthy manner we take this very very seriously so if you're someone who says jesus and the things of jesus i don't think i'm quite there yet i don't know i don't have a relationship with them this meal isn't for you and that's not to be you know excluding you it's just it, it it it's for those who are part of the faith those are the ones who are gathering around the table but my hope is that you might say well i want to be a part of it why can't i you ask questions and we get to talk about it but for those of you who are followers of christ maybe today the best thing that you could do is go you know what I'm realizing because of him, I'm in his righteousness, I am saved, but my life right now has been anything but living in relationship with him. And more importantly than eating that wafer and drinking that juice is I just need to pray. I don't need to go through an activity, I need to go to him. And so maybe in a moment when you stand and you have the opportunity to get an element it's just, it's an opportunity for you to say, I'm aware of some unconfessed sin in my life, and I, I need to take that to Jesus before I partake of this. Others of you, I would just encourage you to take a few moments to, to prepare yourself to come up and grab those elements and just look at them and pray and just think about what it is that we're about to do together as a church family, that we don't let this just become something else that we tack on at the end of a, of a service every couple of months but that it has meaning and power and purpose because what Jesus did had meaning, power, and purpose upon the cross and the resurrection. And so, if you would, would you stand? And as they begin to play, and as they begin to sing, if you guys would, this is the time where you can gather those elements, prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper, and then in just a moment, I'll come back up and we'll partake together at the same time. But take that time that you need. If you need a visit with me, I'll be right here. I'd love to pray with you and visit with you.